This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did the strangest cartoons of the 1980s exist solely to sell us products? We'll find out right after these messages. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Oh, and three idiots today. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from usually a couple of idiots, but we got a guest today. A couple of idiots. My name's Will, and joining me as always is my friend, and he's also my co-host, and his name happens to be Ray, but you can call him Ray J. How are we doing today? Very good. And joining us today is a special guest, John from the Gen X Grown Up podcast. That's us. Hey, I, I have, it's a distinguished pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you know, another thing about the Gen X grownups, they all sound professional. So not only is the show run like clockwork, it, they all sound like oh, yeah. they graduated from the same, you know, broadcasting school. Yeah. I, I noticed that when I was checking out the episode you were on. Yeah. I love yeah. that we have you buffaloed. That's probably my favorite part of living this week. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. So today on the show with our guest, we're going to be talking about the strangest cartoons from the 1980s. Uh, we had our choice. I mean, there's so many. And some of them, I, don't, I guess I didn't realize they were strange, except with, for uh, the benefit of hindsight. When we were kids, it just seemed like this is exactly what I want to see. Yeah, you thought. Yeah, yeah. and then later you look back on it and it's like a some kind of animated fever dream. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. <laughs> a couple of show business, don't click away. Do not skip ahead. Smash Madness starts this week. So if you're interested in participating in Smash Madness, which, John, you don't know this, but we have a head-to-head going, uh, what is this, uh, 32 teams, 16 heroes from 1980s films and 16 villains going head-to-head. Um, and uh, folks take a chance at predicting the outcome and then Ray and I vote and somebody wins and that's that. You can go to our Facebook page or our website to find out more information about that. Mm-hmm. All right. So on Facebook, we've added a page to our group. Look, we're middle-aged folks. We're just learning. How, we're just getting caught up on Facebook now. It's been, it's been live for like 20 years. I remember in 2009, a good friend of mine from college said I was a troglodyte for not having an account. Troglodyte. Oh, wow. After I looked that up, I was offended. Yeah. <laughs> that's harsh. Yeah. Well, now I know that, yes. But so we're still learning. But now we've got a group that's attached to our page because in the group, now we could chat with folks. We can be ourselves. We don't have to post as the page. And other people, listeners like you, can join us too. And we are looking for feedback on shows. We're looking for suggestions for future episodes. On our Facebook Live this the past last week, we announced some guests that are coming up. We're going to post an opportunity for folks to ask questions to these guests. And we'll, you know time allotted. And if they're good, we'll, we'll do, we'll pass those on. Anyway, a way for you to participate and help make more of your show because, you know, collect, we're an eighties community here. It takes a village of idiots and a village idiot. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get caught up on eighties. You guys are fans of things, but you know, we're getting old. Are you familiar with BlizzCon? Mm-hmm. Oh, you are familiar with BlizzCon. Yeah. All right, John, is John, uh, Ray, do you have any idea what BlizzCon is? I didn't think uh, I knew it. I'm assuming that's some kind of video game con ding, ding, ding. thing with costumes. <laughs> there could be. Yeah. It's a pro gamer deal, right? Yeah, they all get together and play their their Worlds of Warcrafts and their Overwatches and such. Yes, exactly. And usually the gaming convention is something that's held in person, but because of you know the environment that we have today, Blizzard Entertainment held their annual convention virtually. 
Uh, I'm not sure how you do that. Uh, maybe you're still dressed in a costume. Maybe you're still able to play these games. I don't know. Wouldn't it just be like Tuesday then if they're just doing it from their house? <laughs> Wouldn't really be a con, would Welcome it? Welcome to Tuesday. <laughs> well, this was quite a Tuesday because the opening act for BlizzCon this year, as it was in 2014, was Metallica. Hmm. Also virtual? Virtual Metallica as well? Yes. Or? Yes. In fact, oh, they, wow. In fact, before they played, they, you know, greeted the audience via video and said, hey, we can't be with you because of how things are, but we're going to play anyway. The song's for you. And then they started playing For Whom the Bell Tolls. Mm. And this is what folks watching on Twitch heard. Yeah. Uh. But James Hetfield saying that. Uh. Uh. So it turns out... As soon as James Hetfield and the gang began to rock their classic For Whom the Bell Tolls, Twitch piped in generic music to avoid a copyright uh, takedown. Well, well, Metallica swings the biggest band hammer for right. copyright infringement right. ever. So it's like they they were hoisted upon their own petard. Yes. <laughs> if, nice. In fact, it was, you know, to add to the irony of it, I suppose, is before they started playing at the bottom of the screen, and you got to imagine they demanded this. It said, this music is subject to copyright, you know, don't copy uh, it, etc. And Twitch wasn't <laughs> taking any chances. So they played this uh, music. Of course, folks went crazy online, thought this was absolutely hysterical. Looking back, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, Metallica, certainly during the, the era of when, when the digital music started becoming popular, they were at the forefront of trying to keep it from advancing, mm -hmm. most famously suing um, Napster. Napster. Yep, yep. Yeah. Back in the days of LimeWire and Kazaa and Napster and mm -hmm. all those things we were just using to get video. Yeah. <laughs> and, and recently, just last year, uh, the guitarist, uh, Kirk Hammett, uh, on a podcast named Let There Be Talk, had said that he thought that uh, that uh, big uh, movement of the bands was a big mistake. He said, quote, we didn't make a difference. We did not make a difference. It happened and we couldn't stop it. Sunk the fucking music industry. Wah, Kirk. Wah. Mm. Okay, wah. I agree 100% with Ray. Wah. Yep. You got enough money. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to delay purchase of my third solid gold Hummer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay, speaking of heavy metal bands from the 1980s or that found big success first in the 1980s, in other 80s news, we've got some more information about this year's Rock Hall inductees. Last week, we talked about that two particular acts that Ray and I, out of the group that were being inducted into the hall, or possibly inducted, included uh, LL Cool J, because I'm a fan of hip-hop, and Iron Maiden, because Ray's a fan of heavy metal. Now, Ray, you said that you had recalled that some members of the group had said that even if they were to be nominated into the Rock Hall, they wouldn't accept the honor. Well, just a couple of days ago, Blabbermouth.com, you, you know, the same Blabbermouth that did our uh, breaking story about leaving and Dave Mustaine, mm -hmm. uh, Blabbermouth just published an article where in which they quoted essentially everybody from the band and any statement they ever made with regard to the Rock Hall. Most, I guess, significantly, we heard from uh, Bruce Dickinson in 2018. He made headlines when he's referred to the Rock Hall as, quote, utter and incomplete load of bullocks, end quote. Mm -hmm. He also said that, quote, I'm really happy we're not there and I never would want to be there. If we're ever inducted, I will refuse. They won't bloody be having my corpse there, end quote. <laughs> mm. Now, unlike, you know, we were thinking that maybe the issue was that he had a, he was taking issue with the fact that it's a rock and roll hall of fame. And, and Ray was suggesting that maybe his issue was you've got, you know, dance act, you've got hip hop, you've got all this. But what he said, goes on to say is that rock and roll is a living medium and that he, he said it doesn't quote belong in a mausoleum in Cleveland. Wow. Yeah. I've never been to the rock hall. So no, no. no. Oh. So I, I'm with, I'm a, I'm going to be with Bruce on this yeah. one. Hmm. Yeah. It's fine. You know, most of it, like 80%, it's like, eh, 
whatever. That guy sweated in that jacket. <laughs> but occasionally it's cool to see a napkin that Paul McCartney wrote on or something like yep. that, you know? I guess if it was lyrics on the napkin to like a song and it had like the original, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's version it, yeah. of the songs, then that would be cool. But not just like a sweat towel that was sitting beside the <laughs> stage, right? It's, right. Yeah. Something you can't actually verify, figure out if it's real or not. Yeah. Right. You know, a lot of that great stuff made its way to Vegas at the Hard Rock Hotel. They mm. have tons of like guitars and, and, you know, uh, costumes and stuff like that. And I see that. I mean, like, so what do they have in the Rock Hall of Fame if that stuff's here? <laughs> Dust <Yeah>. and cobwebs. <laughs> and the security guard's like, what the hell? <laughs> Someone's going to get fired. Look, I don't know how the folks get into the Rock Hall. When we talked about this last week and I mentioned those 16 folks that were inducted, I thought, oh, that means they're inducted. No, no, no. They're inductees. Now there's like a committee of thousands of artists and producers right. that vote. Included in that is they actually have fans vote too. Folks can vote up to five times a day for up to five artists. So it's- circuit like idol style. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep mm -hmm. calling, you know. But regardless of how Iron Maiden feels, per the fan vote, right now they're in fourth place uh, among the fans behind an artist I've never heard of, Fila Kudi, I want to say. I don't know if that's right. Tina Turner, Foo Fighters, and then Iron Maiden is number four. Rounding out the top five is Carol King. Did you say Foo Fighters? He did. They're yeah. eligible this year, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> what does that say about how many decades we've been listening to that music? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm most disappointed because the favorite, my favorite on this list, I believe, uh, LL Cool J is at the, in the bottom three among the fans. Only running behind him is New York Dolls and Kate Bush. Well, the LL Cool J is definitely deserving. I mean, he's he he really was in that early wave of more polished hip hop, mm. and you know sometimes that doesn't get. I've heard people say that maybe there should be a separate like rap and hip hop, you know, yep. Hall of Fame, and those artists don't deserve to be in there, but they've contributed to the overall zeitgeist of mm -hmm. pop in general. So yeah, he's deserving. Yeah, and then you, what do you do with acts like Ray was suggesting this last week with crossover acts? So you know, one of Run DMC's yeah. early album is they sing over a rock band. Where does sure. that go? Right. Well, the the pro, like I said before, the problem is going to be when they put Limp Biscuit in. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's a whole other problem if they put Limp Biscuit in, though, isn't there? <laughs> uh, there's a whole generation of kids that love them. Well, raise your kids right, people. Don't raise them to vote for Limp Biscuit. With any luck, I'll be dead by then. <laughs> Get off my lawn. It's like it's probably like three years from now. Yeah. In other '80s news, we've got another remake, reboot. I don't know something. From a 1980s property, this time we have learned uh, per deadline that Edgar Wright is all set to direct Stephen King's The Running Man. Why? Why are we remaking The Running Man? <laughs> well, the one thing they've clarified is that this is not going to be a reboot. He's going to go back to the source material, which was that book written uh, under uh, Stephen King wrote under his pseudonym Richard Bachman, uh, mm -hmm. which came out in 1982. He's going to go back to that source material and try to adapt that more faithfully to a film. Uh, suggesting, I guess, that the uh, 1987 version of the film was, you know, varied, I guess, from the text. Hmm. Doesn't he usually have a problem with the films, though? King? Yeah, King. I think, look, anecdotally, I, I don't, I didn't research this at all, but uh, I do recall that there are, f I think, few films of all the canon of films he's got that he's actually enjoyed or approved of. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think he bitched about The Stand. I think he bitched about... Yeah. Uh, they did The Shining over. He like liked The he, Shining. Yeah, he did it over. That one was yeah. bad. That TV version, I think, was bad, too. Well, he hasn't done anything good since he was the mossy guy in Cream. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that Edgar Wright has been wanting to direct a, again, I don't know what you're going to call it. If it's if it's just going back, it's another another version, a new, 
a running man. I don't know. He, he's been wanting to direct or adapt, I guess, the novel for a long time and is finally getting his opportunity to do that. It turns out that Stephen King, in, in some way, may be responsible for the success of Edgar Wright because way back when Edgar, one of Edgar Wright's first films came out, Shaun of the Dead, Stephen King praised it as a, a film that one day would be a cult classic. And, you know, he was prescient in that sense that the, the film is. So this is a director that he actually, he's liked his other work, and so maybe he won't bitch about yeah. the new running man. Maybe. Yeah. I, what, I, what I'm curious is if, yeah, does he ever get really behind a film and then, you know, but after, because like, I really liked, um, what was the sequel to Shining? Uh, Dr. Sleep, Dr. Yeah. Sleep. Mm -hmm. I thought that yeah. was great. And I watched some behind the scenes stuff where he was praising how they're making it. And oh, it's so fantastic. What I need to do, I guess now look at see has he complained about it yet? Well, how much money did it make? I, I don't know. Why do you think that's space? I mean, Shining must have made a lot of money by now. When when he did the remake of The Shining, he yeah. kind of stopped talking about it because I don't think it made anywhere near the money that the original made. I see. Mm -hmm. So once Running Man comes out and it doesn't make nearly as much money, mm -hmm. then he'll just drift off into whatever else he wants to complain about. Mm. It's going to be hard <laughs> to top Arnold and uh, Richard Dawson <laughs> together. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, that, that Running Man, is is it's one of those that, it's like it's like you got your your aliens and your predators and Running Man <laughs> is right up there with RoboCop and the kind of like that mid '80s films oh, yeah. that were just it was a roller coaster ride of goofiness that made oh, yeah. it great. Yeah. And they're going to want to make it more serious. I mean, look at the remake of RoboCop. Going to Mars movie. I, I, perfect. Uh, Total Recall. Oh, Total Recall. Total Recall. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> look at the yeah. remake of Total Recall that was super dark and it just wasn't yeah. as magical. Yeah. That's that's a very nice way of saying that movie sucked. I'm trying to be diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it has the greatest line in it. What is it, Ray? I'm going to reach down your neck and rip out your goddamn spine. And then he goes, Wah! Wah! Oh, yeah, right. Right after that. Right. <laughs> hey, that was the 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. <sighs> okay, hey, today on the show, we're going to be talking about the strangest or some of the strangest uh, cartoons in the of the 1980s. If you've got others that we don't mention, hey, we're sorry, okay? No, no. <laughs> we have the rumpus room for you to complain in right. now. Go on to Facebook and complain to us. So, Will, before we get in started in earnest, yeah. I wondered, to commemorate the opportunity to be here on the show, I, I actually put together a poem oh. that I would like to share with you, if that's okay. <laughs> please, please. Okay, all right. Uh, I wish I, do, do you need music or something? I wish I had music. No, no, ready. no. I mean, maybe you had like a, a, like a strumming minstrel yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, maybe that's a harpist. exactly yeah. what I was yeah. thinking. I think we sent yeah. the minstrel home already, though. Hmm. Oh, yeah. did he? Okay, he doesn't, yeah. yeah. He works time and a half as crazy yeah. for the minstrel. It's a weekend. Okay, yeah, so I just Please. put a little thing, to, something together to commemorate. I mean, just happy to be here, so. Okay. Uh, yeah, so here we go. Yeah. Hear you now, my wondrous tale, my fondest dream come true at last. Fortune smiled, and I'm a guest on the Idiots podcast. To appear alongside Will, that linguistic legend of iTunes, oh. the glorious founder of the show, with a wit sharp as balloons. <laughs> and then there's Will's co-host Ray rounding out this extravaganza. If Will is this show's Jerry, then clearly Ray is his Costanza. <laughs> you know, of course, these gentle burns were never meant to scald you, just friendly rising from a like-minded gang who also love nostalgia. Oh my goodness, that was fantastic. That was awesome. Oh yeah. my goodness. Very, very good. I had no idea you well, also had that skill among your many Well, I would have talents. marked this occasion. It was a chance to be here with oh. you, and I didn't want that, uh, let this opportunity slide by without uh, sharing some uh, some uh, poetry. Now, see, we could we could shorten the <laughs> intro and put that just over top of some quick uh, minstrel music. <laughs> mm, yeah. From now on. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. 
Gosh. It'll, it'll get flagged though, and it'll instead, like Metallica, it'll play some just <laughs> some elevator music instead. You'll miss out. Sorry. Yeah. And for more poems, you got to make sure you check out John and the gang over there at the uh, Gen X Grown Up Podcast. And they've also got a YouTube channel, website, yeah. everything. More nostalgic, nostalgic, that's a word, right? Nostalgic content. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, they're kids from the 70s and 80s, so they focus on all that stuff that you love uh, when you grew up, just like us. Yeah, and thank you for that. You must have thought I was some kind of uh, uncouth bum when I showed up over at your podcast, empty-handed, without a poem. <laughs> That's right, dude. Not a bottle of wine. Yeah, nothing. Not a, not a fruitcake, nothing. I don't, not even a poem. Not a jelly of the month club <laughs> nothing. thing or nothing? No. no. All right. A Dang. pair of me undies, nothing. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's reprehensible. No, <laughs> you were a delight, and mm. thanks for having oh, me. So, of course. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's talk about some weird cartoons. Mm. Uh, you know, I guess there's a threshold thing, you know, I think it's probably obvious. No, maybe it's not obvious. Again, a lot of these things we realize looking back in hindsight, but throughout the 1980s, commer- uh, cartoons rather existed mostly to sell things. Well, I mean, Will, you're, you're totally right. But I mean, the, the thing that is, is important to understand is yep. that as Gen Xers, we were, we were given this gift of crazy unfettered yep. commercialism in our cartoons because in the seventies, there were laws right. that said, okay, there's a maximum, like 12 minutes per hour is all you can get of commercial content during children's programming. And and they were pushing back against, they were pushing for none and they ended up with 12. Right. But then in the Reagan era, like in 81, you know, his, his big thing was, oh, less government regulation. Mm-hmm. We, it's up to the, the broadcasters to decide. So like, like late 81, early 82, they like relaxed and revoked those rules. Right. And so the toy companies were like, all right, time for a 30 minute commercial for He-Man, you know, so they cranked it out. So we got tons of those. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky us, I think, you know. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm not complaining about it because as a kid, I loved seeing the commercials for the toys. Yeah. Well, the commercials and the shows that were commercials, both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then having the toys there, you know, on your table in the living room while you're able to watch the show at the same time and act out a scene that you're watching on He-Man or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah, you're playing along. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that, John, all that detail, because yeah, I was, my, I was leading up to saying that I think regulations were relaxed. That was going to be what you were going to get, but for John being here. <laughs> so, I, I did not mean to, yeah. to overshadow your parade. And he just knows this, you know, extemporaneously, just like it's poetry, which you made mm-hmm. up on the fly. You could yeah. tell. So let's talk about Turbo Teen. Mm. It's odd, but also I remember, I remember watching it and enjoying it mm-hmm. probably for the reasons that they believed we would. And Unlike the other ones, or many of the other ones we're going to talk about, there was no toy. There was hardly a product. I think there was one coloring book, maybe. Uh, other than that, nothing. The show was produced by Ruby Spears, which produced a number, of maybe almost all the cartoons that we had on Saturday mornings at one point, including the, was it Supercade, you know, which had the uh, video game cartoon characters. It ran from September of 84 to August of 1985, and was just uh, 13 episodes. Do you guys remember uh, Turbo Teen, the uh, general uh, premise? Yeah, it was, it was like if, it was Knight Rider if Kit ate Michael, <laughs> essentially, is what it was. It was, yes. it was a kid who something happened right. and mm-hmm. he became his, he became like the Incredible Hulk of a car. Yes. He was yeah. either a kid or a car. Yeah, late at night, he wrecks his car into an experimental lab of some sort. Right. Mm. And then when he gets hot, he turns into a car. And when he gets cold, he turns back into a human. Back yeah. into a boy. Yeah. 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 And the transformation is... It's kind of, it's like American Werewolf in London yes. kind of haunting. Like it's, it's oh, yes. it looks painful. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I it's, think it's more disturbing than mm. American Werewolf. This thing is, mm. is yucky. That's saying something. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. I would love <laughs> to see a live action Rick Baker version uh, of that transformation where he is, uh, mm-hmm. was it like David Naughton with like really experiencing the pain of his hands becoming tires 
collapsing right. yeah. on the floor and his face stretching out. His face is turning into a bumper. Yeah, oh, that <laughs> yeah his ass turns into the trunk of the car. Just screaming. That would be great. He's got junk in the trunk, that guy. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and of course, you know, uh, the, the main character, Brett, who gets this ability, just like anybody who suddenly got some kind of superhuman talent, does what anybody would do in the 80s. He joins with a couple of friends, his uh, friend Alex and his girlfriend, and a dog named Rusty, and they go around the country solving crimes. <laughs> right? That's what you'd do. That's what I'd do. Mm-hmm. This this thing raised so many questions for me that I think you only think of what? as an adult. Like when you get in the car, yeah. where am I sitting? Yes, what am exactly. I sitting on when I'm in the car? Like, oh, I'm inside of him, <laughs> but I'm, I'm on his back. I yeah. hope I'm on his back. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, I'm guessing the rib cage area mm. is where you'd be sitting. <laughs> oh, I'm hoping. <laughs> Ray's going to figure it out. I was wondering yeah, what man. becomes the fuel filler, mm. which I also saw online you could refer to as the gas hole. <laughs> Oh, I think I just answered it. Never mind. <laughs> we figured that out. Let's not discuss the gear shift at all. Let's leave that alone. <laughs> you sure you don't want to speed up? This is fine. We're in a 25. Come on. Easy. Come on. Put it in third. Brett? Third, so, no. second, third, second. Yeah. If you put something in the trunk, where does it go when he trans- when he transforms mm. to back to being a human? Does he, yeah. does he die? <laughs> I don't he's, know. he's very popular in the prison community. He can get things in and out. Oh boy! Oh, <laughs> thank you for coming, John. Sorry, Ray. It's been, it was nice to be here. He's tried to throw me out a couple times mm. too. I wouldn't worry about <laughs> he keeps it. coming back. He just shows up. Uh, you're right, though. You said uh, John earlier. You know, made a reference to Knight Rider. This is something that capitalized on another phenomenon of the 1980s, like these cartoons, was our love of cars, and we talked about on that on many episodes ago. Actually, just about a year ago. Uh, and this. You know, it made no secret this. The, the theme song has some of that synthy sort of uh, arpeggio uh, below the the uh, sort of orchestral music like Knight Rider theme did. It's The car looks like a mashup of a Firebird with a Camaro. Um, some of its talents, you know, and skills seem to be like, you know, something you'd have Kit do. I'd, you know, I'd mm-hmm. like to think this is also the inspiration for uh, Automan, mm. which came out three months oh. after this show came out. Yeah, I don't know. They whip it up. Was soon. it that soon around yeah. there? Oh, yeah, yeah that was... Uh, was, uh, that was uh, Lucy and uh, Lucy's song. <laughs> right. Desi- Desi- Auto Man? Yes. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. I think, nope. yeah, Auto Man came first because Auto Man was 83. Okay. Okay. So maybe oh. Auto Man was actually the inspiration for the cartoon then. Ray is an encyclopedia. Right. You were right, Will. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I have these weird moments where I just <laughs> randomly remember things. Flashes of brilliance. I get yeah. it. Yeah. And then yeah. they're gone. Desi Arnaz Jr. was the man in the chair. You know, he was the guy in the lab. He wasn't the actual auto man. That's right. You know, one of the yeah. recurring things, you're going to hear that Ruby Spears produced a lot of these, and you're going to hear that Frank Welker, who, of course, did a number of cartoon voices when we were just wee bitty children, including uh, uh, Fred on Scooby-Doo. Yeah. That's probably for when we first came to know him. Ultimately, he winds up doing Scooby-Doo as well, I think, after the original voice actor passes mm-hmm. away. Yep. He's done Megatron and dozens of other folks that we know and love and still is working today. But he did the character of Dark Rider, which is the... Uh, you know, the giant uh, monster truck that keeps chasing after them. I don't know if we ever learn in the series if there's actually a driver in it or what he's after, but he seems like they want, uh, you know, the, to uh, learn about the how the Turbo Teen's able to use these powers. Yeah, there's a couple of voice actors on this show that are pretty impressive. Uh, Pamela Hayden, mm-hmm. she now is Millhouse on The Simpsons. Right, uh, oh, right, okay. right, right. Clive Revel did the Emperor's voice in the uh, theatrical version of uh, oh, Star yeah. Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. Right, right, yes. Yeah. And then this guy, this Pat Fraley. Yeah. He is all over these cartoons from the 80s. He's yep. everywhere. You said Wilker was the voice of Fred. Did you mean Fred Flintstone? No, I thought that was Alan I'm Reed. sorry, Fred no, Jones. No. Fred Jones. Fred Jones. Jones. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think he's, I don't think there's ever been another Fred. Wouldn't that be weird? Like a, 
like an 80-year-old dude still doing the voice of a teenager. Oh, if he can pull it off. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And by pull it off, uh, John's referring to his penis and testicles. Because then his voice changes and he's able to sound youthful. Hey, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Just for the record, that's not what I meant, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to put that on record. All right. Well, speaking about, uh, you know, we're talking about toys that became cartoons. Uh, This is one that existed, again, like we talked about many of them. Solely to help sell a product, the Sectors. This was a uh, toy. It began as a toy in 1985 by Coleco. You know, they were looking Mm -hmm. to compete with He-Man, the GoBots, all the number of toys that were very popular. 1985 was a huge year for iconic toys that, you know, still are being uh, remade and uh, rebooted in various ways today. They already already had some winners out there. Coleco had the Coleco Vision, and they made some other video game-related products. And, of course, Coleco is the producer of the Cabbage Patch Dolls, one of the top 10 toys from the 1980s easily. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, just they followed the pattern of He-Man. Mm-hmm. I remember the toys better than I do the cartoon. Well, first, the premise. You guys remember the premise of this one at all? Do you remember this cartoon at all? I only remember it from the toys, like I said. From the planet Symbion, wow. a failed genetic experiment. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> turns everyone into a mutant bug for some unexplainable reason. Yeah. Were you yeah. a fan, John? Is that how you know that? Or are you? Well, I, I refreshed my memory, okay. admittedly, but as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh my Lord, this was so terrible. And yeah. I watched it every time. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember the second because- Ray? Uh, I did not, but when I was researching for the show, I did yeah. go back to YouTube and watch a little bit of the thing. And I was like, <laughs> right. holy sh-t. this is one of the most disturbing yeah. intros to a cartoon I've ever seen. Yeah. Genetic experiments... And then people are well, melting and turning the whole into planet, insects. Like everyone yeah. on the planet yeah. was affected and they turned into either mutants or good guy bugs or right. bad guy bugs yeah. or yeah. other mutants. Or, yeah, and then the music yeah. picks up and it's all happy oh, and yeah. they're like bug people <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, what just happened? Yeah. yeah, so as you as the guys are indicating here, there's a genetic experiment that winds up uh, turning insects, normal insects, into gigantic insects, and turning turning uh, the more humanoid-like characters in, into these hybrids of sort of, or they adopt more insect-like features. To com- and they, those folks become the villains right away. And to com- combat that, scientists go and create good versions of these, you know, insect humanoids to fight against these bad guys. Again, produced by Ruby Spears. Mm. This time around, we've got music from Shuku Levy, who, depending on who you believe, he did a lot of songs from the ni- theme music from the 1980s, including Inspector Gadget, Mask, He-Man. There's also stories that he, he probably had a ghostwriter who helped a lot of the time, and they just he took credit so he can get the publishing rights. You've also got Frank Welker did voices in this one as well, including Peter Cullen, who was uh, part of, who did uh, Optimus Prime, of course, most famously, opposite Frank Welker's Megatron. But I was saying, I remember the toys more, especially because they had these puppets where you could actually wear a glove that was the, one of the giant insects that had a saddle on it where the action figure could ride on it. And by manipulating your fingers like a, an insect or a spider on the table, you can make it seem like their, you know, ride-on beast was walking. It was, you know, whatever, especially now when I go back and look at the sectars, the, the design of them, they all had the design that reminds me of, I'm not a big enough Marvel, Marvel fan to tell you, but yes. in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's the one Mantis. girl that has the antenna, right? Yeah. Mantis. Yeah. Okay. And and all the design of all of the sectars looked like that. They were kind of vaguely humanoid, mm-hmm. and they've inexplicably had wide set eyes and these antenna right. coming out of their forehead and very vertically. And right. Like I didn't remember this, but I read this on uh, uh, some website about the uh, comic. Said that each character was telebonded with uh, their creature, you know, with their beast, their mount, which were called the insectoids, and they had a special ability and shared each other's pleasure. And pain. So it's the Corsican twins, effectively, in, in insect form. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that could be a weakness of great. Yeah, it could be a great weakness. Yeah, yeah, it was for them. <laughs> you just you just have to beat up one. Right. Yeah. Get them both. Yeah. That, it's it's really a time saving measure, I think. Well, I think actually the Corsican brothers though. One didn't feel it. The other one did, right? Only, only his brother did. Right. That's right. Yeah. You're right. Hmm, now yeah. you make me wonder <laughs> if these guys felt it at the same time or not. I guess we don't know. And we'll never gonna, find Can out. we get to the Sectaris Bible? Is somebody, can somebody get that for me? Yeah, I need to look that up. I think the I minstrel left with it earlier. <laughs> oh, did he? he took it home. He has some studying to do. I don't understand. He's got sticky fingers, that minstrel. Do you want to tell us about Banana Man? <laughs> I didn't know much about this one until I looked it up because I yeah. was like, that sounds like a great name for a cartoon. Banana Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 1983 in the UK. Right. This kid eats bananas and turns into a superhero. <laughs> now, it's based on a comic book character. Right. So right there, you're off to a good start, right? You're building mm-hmm. off of a, a comic strip. It's not even a book. It's a strip, comic yep. strip. So originally, he's called Eric Wimp. <laughs> but apparently, even in 1983, they thought that was too much for television audiences and changed oh. his name. To Eric, really, Eric Twinge. <laughs> it's only, it's only slightly better. I had yeah. never heard of Banana yeah. Man until you mentioned we might cover it here, and I'm like, well, Banana Man. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Boy, is it British. Yeah. Yeah, Boy, it is, is it British. Yeah. It's got that that dry Python esque kind mm-hmm. of humor in it. He's nodding like, yeah, it's, it yeah. is, isn't it? Oh yeah, I Boy, love Eric. Python, and this is right there in the wheelhouse for them. And I watched it. It looked like a gag. And then I looked it up. It ran 40 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Like there are 40 things Banana Man can do possibly <laughs> over the course of two seasons. Really? So, you know, right. we talk about these things being designed to sell products. So Big Banana was behind this, right? It had to be. <laughs> Damn it, Chiquita again. <laughs> I just assumed that they were like, all right, Popeye's got spinach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do we have in Britain that tastes like spinach? And someone said, our bananas are awful. Oh, they're awful. <laughs> Oh yeah, so but it does come to the U.S. eventually, right? It, it's it's one of the it's one of the first cartoons to air on Nickelodeon. Uh, it actually winds up being a companion show to Danger Mouse, which was in fact the first cartoon on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and Danger Mouse was the second most popular show on Nickelodeon at the time. The first, of course, being you can't do that on television. Um, but they didn't have a whole lot of programming uh, as far as cartoons go. And Banana Man was one of the earliest one of the earliest ones. But I still somehow missed it as well. Of all the cartoons you would go after, like, we don't have enough material to show on the air. And someone nope. in that room said, yep. they didn't say Scooby-Doo. Nope. Nope. <laughs> they didn't say the, the Jetsons. Yep. Can't Some, afford that. No. Nah. Can't afford that. No. Somebody Next. in the room goes, hey, man, what about Banana Man? Oh, you got my attention. <laughs> yeah. And everyone in that room said, never heard of it. And then, yeah, right. then he had to wheel in a TV with a Because they didn't know any better to say no. They just said they'd never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just watched a documentary called The Orange Years about the early the early time in Nickelodeon when it was they first came up with that splat logo mm. that you know changed shapes and everything. And it was I can understand why you would bring in Banana Man because the uh, the CEO of, of Nickelodeon at that time was really trying to think outside of the norm mm. of what was on cable programming. She didn't want to do I, and I can understand why you didn't want to do a Scooby-Doo or a Jetsons, even if they could get it, they probably oh, yeah. couldn't, but they wanted what sets us apart, makes us different. And I think Banana Man fits that bill. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good call right there. Okay. So here's another one. Brave Star. I learned only in doing this research that the idea for Brave Star actually began when uh, Filmation was working on the Ghostbusters cartoon. So if you mm-hmm. remember Filmation yep. back in the early 1980s, a company owned by Lou Scheimer, uh, did a cartoon about Ghostbusters before Ghostbusters film. In fact, we talked about it in many episodes ago, the sort of 
rights issues that they had to go through to get the name Ghostbusters and some of the lengths they went to to plan to make the film if they could, how to call them something else. But ultimately, while they were developing characters for that, they developed this one, one of these uh, artists created Tex Hex. And Lou Scheimer liked mm-hmm. this character so much, he said, let's save it and build a show around Tex Hex. And so he encouraged his staff to come up with a show that would ha- be a science fiction Western. And ultimately, Brave Star was born. Uh, it ran from September of 87 to February of uh, 1988. Of course, it yeah. was created after a collection of action figures was first released by Mattel in 1986. An outer space Western yeah. before Firefly did it right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it? It was, I would say it killed film. I think it was the last series Filmation actually animated. That's right. I don't think they did anything after this. Yep. It was the last one by Filmation yep. and it shut, uh, Filmation ultimately shut down in 89. So just a few years later. Yeah. There was a lot of focus on dingoes in Brave Star. <laughs> Those were like the the, the, the the dingoes outside of town were always the, the thing they were dealing with. Yes. And there was a character that was raised that's by dingoes, a, I think. That's a, that's a great thing to bring up because the one dingo's name was Dealer in the episode, The Price. Mm, oh, the dingoes are the dealers. And, uh, mm. and this, is, oh. this is what makes this a strange cartoon is because on that episode, yeah. all, everybody's addicted to this thing called spin. Mm. And and the dingo gives it to this kid, and the first one's free, like always. That's you know, yeah. Hey, kid, this free. one this yeah. one's on me. Yeah. And then he comes back, and he's like, "This one's not free." So the kid steals his mom's purse, her space purse, space purse, space purse. So he can space. buy space drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and his friend is like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" He's like, "You better not tell on me." Mm. So his friend doesn't tell, right? Doesn't tell the horse that talks. <laughs> so eventually, in this episode. This kid dies. Wow. He absolutely ends up dead. And that happened in a cartoon yep. in the 80s. Like, I'm watching, I rewatched this thing a couple weeks ago just to wrap my head around this. And I'm like, holy crap, they really did it. They killed a kid. Really? Yeah. I mean, like, He Man never even drew blood with his no. sword. And yet, here's somebody dropping dead from an overdose. Yep. Yeah. And- in outer space cowboy land. Yeah. This is the era of a very special episode of, and I, I never- After school specials. I and, never dug mm-hmm. that when I was a kid. You know, they take a otherwise certain genre, sort of property, a sitcom or otherwise, and they put this dark spin on it. We've talked about the different strokes different episode strokes. that still <laughs> yeah. haunts mm-hmm. us today. Yep. Uh, was that the bicycle episode, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. What's the guy's name? Yeah. Ray? Mr. Uh, the, uh, Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson. It, that's the part that bothers me the most. They couldn't get somebody else to play that role. They had to get they had to get the big guy, Mr. Carlson from WKRP. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Jump plays mm. that. Uh, yeah. Pedophile. Mm. That's a that's an awful uncomfortable Gosh. episode to watch. Oh. Brave Star, like the other filmation cartoons, like He Man, Ghostbusters, had these moral tales built into them. Some kind of lesson. GI Joe did a similar thing. At the end, they would wrap it up. So, at the end of this one, Ray, what was it? Don't do drugs. Drugs yes. are bad, okay? Are bad, yeah. Spin is bad, okay? <laughs> Space drugs are bad for you. Don't do it. I'm like, I can't get my hands on none of this stuff, so I don't know right. what the hell your message is. The poor no. kid was like, I think I'm high. Is that a walking, <laughs> talking horse? <laughs> oh, no. That's 30-30. He's an equestroid. What? I think when he took the drugs, 30-30 turned into a normal horse. Oh, that would be he's great. Like, he's like, look at him. He's walking on four legs. Yep. I'm really messed up. So let's touch on the main characters just quickly. Of course, Brave Star, the, the titular mm-hmm. character, he's a galactic marshal of New Texas. He's a Native American who can call upon the power of spirit animals. And he's basically got all these superpowers. And he says, you know, what is it? The, well, the power of the bear. And then he's like super strong and can, you know, bend steel or knock down a wall or something. He's got speed. He's got super hearing. He's got super sight, all these different things. The and power his, of the beaver. <laughs> he builds a dam, whatever <laughs> kinds of things. 
And of his his sidekick or even his equal, his partner, I suppose, is a as a John pointed out, is a cybernetic breed of a horse, or referred to in the show as an equestroid, the last of his kind, named Thirty Thirty, which I believe is the as a kind of a shotgun shell, something like that, from a mm-hmm. Winchester, maybe. I think um, you're right. It's probably the mix yep. of something or the size, or um, and he, of course he does carry around a blunderbuss gun. Um, the weirdest thing about him is he could he looks like a robotic horse. But he either looks like a normal horse in a sense that he's on, he's a quadruped, can't mm-hmm. talk, or by, uh, by sheer power of will, he can be an anthropomorphic horse where he's standing on two legs and mm-hmm. speaking and using, you know, his limbs the way a human would. And one of the odder things about it to me is that Bravestar could use him as his ride. So he would just climb on his friend's back, he would turn into the horse form, and he'd be riding on his friend. Well, it's not as bad as Turbo Teen, but yes, it's... it's, it's <laughs> he I'm not sitting inside, inside of the horse. <laughs> right. So here's another one. And I, th- I was reminded of this one because a few weeks ago, we talked about how they're turning the Rubik's Cube into a movie. Now, we don't know, John, if that means it's <laughs> going to be a story about Erno Rubik making the cube and turning it into a sale. Hopefully, it's something like that. And hopefully, that was a know. real exciting story. He was in communist communist... Hungry at the time, trying to find a way to be able to get it out. And it took some time, et cetera, and so on. And ultimately mm-hmm. becomes, you know, a huge seller. Even in 2017, it sold like $250 million worth of merchandise. It's, it's big now, maybe bigger than it was then. So we don't know what that film will be. Hopefully it's not going to be like this cartoon though, which this is immediately <laughs> what I thought of when they heard that announcement. Uh, Rubik, the amazing cube in 1982, just when the popularity of the Rubik's cube, which was huge starting in 1980, when it first came out by the ideal corporation, it started to wane in 82. And so it seems like they had this thought, Hey, let's, you know, let's make a cartoon to sell some more Rubik's cubes. This cartoon, I don't know that it did that. It might've horrified and scared some children from ever Mm -hmm. having one in their room for fear it might develop a face and feet because the cartoon was about that, a, a sentient cube that would come alive and again, you had a face and limbs whenever it was solved. Yeah, right. That was the thing. You had to solve yeah. it in order for it to come to life and turn into a magic telekinetic troll baby. Yeah. But otherwise it was, and luckily most kids couldn't solve it. So they never found yeah, out right. if it was true or not. <laughs> well, yes. And what's interesting is that and when he is solved, he has godlike powers. He essentially mm-hmm. could do anything. He's got telekinesis. Mm-hmm. He can fly. Uh, he's essentially deus ex machina for the writers. Whatever jam the kids got into that were traveling around with him that were had first saved him, uh, Carlos, Lisa, and Reynaldo Rodriguez. Save us, Rubik. Yeah. Solve me first. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first thing that dawned on me is, well, first of all, it's, it's really kind of a terrifying uh, looking creature, I think. Um, but you had to be good at solving it. And these kids had to solve it under pressure because, you know, there's a bad guy heading towards them that's going to attack. And this <laughs> poor child is there, you know, <laughs> struggling. If if that were if they had to rely on me as a kid, John's got one right now. I've hurry, got one. hurry! They're coming. They're at the door. Oh damn! The blue. We're screwed. Dead. Carlos is dead. Now Lisa takes it from his his dead body and starts uh, trying to carry on. You would you would hear that thing screaming as I ripped it apart to put the pieces back where they go. <laughs> click click. Come on, Rubik. You can telekinesis. You son of a. Now wake up. Now, yeah, when Ray, when you when you put him together that way, the way we did as kids, yeah. is he alive? Is he yeah, dead? You dismantled the boy, and yeah. now you're like, I hope you're okay. Oh. I had you torn apart. Mm. Oh, your sticker's gone. Sorry, oh, buddy. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's among one of the trippier uh, cartoons, and certainly, mm-hmm. again, sort of this weird uh, adaptation. You know, I've, certainly, I would have never have att- attempted to adapt something like that to you know an anthropomorphic uh, character, but. It, you could do that in the 1980s. You would um, think they're yeah. trying to endear you to the product, and yet the character 
was so off-putting. His voice was, you know, like, Rubik is interested in helping (laughs) children solve me. It was terrible. Yeah, Uh, which is uh, funny because that's Horshack. Is it? Yeah. Oh, 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 Mr. Cotter. <laughs> Speaking really? of that, I've got a clip of a clip of Rubik because you're right. The voice was kind of freaky. And here's a mm-hmm. from the right. intro. Hello, my name is Rubik. To create that voice, the, the voice actor behind that voice explained that he would speak very slowly and then they would speed it up. I think they probably did something a little more digital too. But just to see if we could crack the code of who it was, I took it and slowed it down. Mm. So here's what it would sound like before it was sped up. Hello, my name is Rubik. Now you're going to tell me (laughs) that you think that sounds like Ron Palillo? I don't think that does, but I would be more happy with this cartoon if they'd have let him use his Horshack voice. Just his regular voice? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, oh, kids. Oh, oh, kids, kids. (laughs) Well, he said he did go out of his way to make it sound, to make it not sound like or make it distinct from Horshack. Yeah. Once again, if you're going to go through all the effort to speak slow and use a computer to change it, why not just get somebody else to do it? That's the Alvin of the Chipmunks method. That's exactly yeah. what they did. They just, yeah. you know, Christmas time is here. <laughs> yeah. And then they doubled it up. Yeah. And so you had to talk deliberately. All right. Let's 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 jump to the, I want to go with Mr. T. Mm. Uh, pity the fool next Mr. T for this section. <laughs> so... This afternoon, I decided to watch it. Okay. So it fires up, and immediately in the opening sequence, he punches a shark in the face. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> of course he does. What the hell did I just see? <laughs> so I'm watching the show, so I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So I go to the highlights of this thing. Yep. So I watch him pick up 55-gallon uh, uh, barrels <laughs> and squish them between his fists. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> a la Superman. Done. Sounds good. Yeah. 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 Catches a tiger. Inside of a balloon. <laughs> no. <laughs> Picks up an RV mm. so that they can put wood under it so they can drive out of a hole. Wait a second. No, well, if you're yeah. going to pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> why not just move it? Just yeah. put it down where there's no mud. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. So I, I'm like, all right, what's the premise of this show? Yeah. Mr. T is a gymnastics coach. Oh. Who travels the world. Yep. With teenagers solving various mysteries is the, <laughs> is the way this show works. I saw him take a telephone pole and throw it. He grabbed a crocodile by the tail, swung it around, and pitched it out of a swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, numerous times, he kicked down walls yeah. made of stone. <laughs> it's clever leg. Stephen King would not approve of this no. usage of material. <laughs> but I also think this one is the strangest because it's actually Mr. T who voices the character himself. Which means he he approves this message. He, he <laughs> I'm approves. Mr. T. <laughs> yep, that's what I can do. I can sling yeah. alligators. I can lift RVs. <laughs> yeah, he honestly thinks those things now. So. It says based on a true story. <laughs> it should. I wish... Oh my God, I wish that would have been in the intro right when he was punching the shark in the face. Based on a true story. <laughs> Pow. You know, a couple of winters ago, I took a vacation in Denver and went to this great little retro 80s store called the 5280s, which 50, uh, that 5280 is the height of Denver, I think. And mm-hmm. then they have the 80s store and they have all this great stuff. And I picked up, I've not cracked the shrink wrap yet, but I got a Mr. T cartoon book and record. Oh, wow. They had, they had a lot of them still in shrink wrap to add to my book and record collection. <laughs> and now I want to open it because I just got it because it's Mr. T, but now I want to yep. hear what kind of craziness is in that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he shares these tales of him uh, battling swamp creatures and uh, doing some sort of makeshift uh, auto repair, or auto towing. Uh, yeah, and he's he looks like Mr. T, 
Well, he's doing like gymnastic stunts too. Mm. Like he pulls a tree back. Yep. And does somersaults off. Like it springs him into the air and he flies up a cliff doing mm. somersaults. But he's like throwing kids around too. He's like, somersault, fool. And he's just throwing them through the air. <laughs> I'm like, Holy I, that crap. should be required every time anyone does a somersault. You should have to say, somersault, fool. In the Olympics, yes. Yeah. So I think that one might be the, you mm. know, I'll buy dinosaurs, uh, insect people, yeah. mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Walking Mr. horses. T, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I can buy. Hi, Mr. T, as strong as he is <laughs> in that cartoon. So, and maybe because we knew him so well in the 80s as a, you know, a more grounded but yeah. heroic figure. Mm-hmm. Now I want to see uh, Mr. T, we were talking about Smash Madness earlier. I want to see a Mr. T versus Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Both of them have like godlike level powers, it yeah, seems. Yeah, unlimited powers that you can just add. I scrambled you, fool. Now <laughs> yeah, you can't I'll, do anything. So. Uh, Mr. T, yeah, yeah, all he has to do is easy. turn it once. Yeah, yes. just click, yep. done. done. You're done. You've defeated me. <laughs> before the processing all right very good have we burned everything up at this point yeah that's the candle down to the table screw you noosh move (laughs) before i ask you something ray i have a question for you i want to say thank you to john from gen x grown-up podcast the gen x grown-up podcast youtube channel website everything just go to genxgrownup.com and you can get to all those different places, a lot of great content. Uh, and going over those, you know, these, look, you can tell the, the guy's knowledgeable, right? I mean, not only is he, you know, potential <laughs> poet laureate at some point in the future, but he knows his stuff more than oh, Ray and I do. Yeah. He's read a book. He said he watched a documentary. You know he was trying to show off, but still, it's <laughs> true. I have a TV. <laughs> it's true. So thanks, John. Please go and check him out. Um, and in fact, I was uh, had the great fortune of being a guest on a recent episode where we got to talk about all the fun toys that we used to get in cereal and other products mm-hmm. throughout the 1980s. And oh my gosh, do I miss those. Mm. So on the show today, look, I learned about a lot of different cartoons from the 1980s that I forgot. I learned from John that more of the specifics about the regulation that I only knew vaguely uh, mm. about what led to these long, uh, you know, 22 minute uh, commercials that we loved as children. But I'm not sure if we proved anything, Ray. Is there is there anything that we proved? I don't. We have proven oh. beyond a shadow of a doubt, really. Mm. Okay, I'm that ready. the people who were responsible for coming up with cartoons in the 1980s yep. were probably on drugs. Oh. <laughs> spin, most likely, was spin. <laughs> Allegedly, uh, yeah. And we will talk to you next time on the Idiots. See ya. Mm-hmm.